And our passage for our scripture reading this morning will be Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. The Apostle Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we no longer, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he has died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace and this is the reading of God's word thanks be to God would you pray with me father god we again give you thanks for your scripture that you've given to us And that it's useful to teach us and to train us in all righteousness. God, these are your inspired words given to us. And we give you thanks for them. And may they take root into our hearts. That you transform us from the inside out. By your word and by your spirit. That you create us and make us new creatures. And God, help us as we are exploring this important issue of baptism. God, we pray that you you bring clarity to our thoughts and our hearts and our minds. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Well, I found this box in the storage room the other day. Um, And... My mom had sent me this box, oh, sometime back, and then I think it had made several moves from house to house to house. 
And, um, you know, it's a Vans off-the-wall box. I'm going to tell you, and this is still, if you buy a pair of Vans, this is still what the box looks like now. But this box is from the late 70s, early 80s. This is back when I was a size 8. So that's a, that's a long time ago. I'm a, like 11 now. And, um, and I was going through this, and I found what was in the box. What my mom had sent me were my Star Wars action figures. Everybody knows what this is? Stormtrooper. The, the younger kids are answering this. I figured the older, the older grown-ups would know. Okay, so here's, there's a Stormtrooper. Uh, here is, oh, of course, hard to see. Okay, that's Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay, this one you should be able to see. C-3PO, all right. There's Han, Han Solo. Uh, let's see, who else do I have in here? Um, oh, yep, Princess Leia. This one, come on, Chewbacca, very good, okay, and Darth Vader, right, with his lightsaber that was built into his arm that you could slide in and out, which I lost, and this is a toothpick, so there's my creative mind, that toothpick is from 1979 or whatever, and then, of course, Luke, Luke Skywalker, right, okay. And so I thought, I was sitting here as I opened this yesterday and uh, was looking at these, pic, these uh, action figures, and um, an image came to my mind. I actually remember one specific time playing this. I mean, obviously, I played with these action figures all growing up, but it reminded me of one specific moment playing with these action figures. It happened to be a Sunday morning, um, and again, late Late 70s, I don't know exactly what year, but it happened to be a Sunday morning. I had gotten ready for church. I was waiting for my parents to get ready to go to church. And I was in the living room. The front door was open. The warm California sunshine was cascading in through the screen door. And I was playing right there in the sun, playing with my action figures. And then I happened to look over on the table that was leading out to out the front door. And I saw this next to like the car keys and those kind of things. And my mom happened to come into the living room and I asked her, Mom, why, why is dad bringing a towel to church? Right? And I thought that was really kind of a strange thing. That my dad was bringing a towel to church. And my mom explained to me at that moment, while I was playing with my Star Wars action figures, she goes, your dad is getting baptized today. My dad had become a Christian some, you know, some time before and was uh, submitting himself to baptism that morning. And I remember thinking, baptism, what a strange thing. I think I've heard that word before, maybe in Sunday school class. And apparently it's something that you get wet because you needed a towel for it to go to church. So that morning, I remember that as vividly as can be, the day that my dad brought a towel to church to get baptized. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at the issue of baptism. And I thought it might be helpful for us to, uh, to look at baptism through a series of uh, five or six 
question. So this morning, it's uh, kind of question and answer. It'll be kind of like our series uh, on same-sex marriage in the gospel. I'll, I'll ask a couple of commonly asked questions regarding baptism, and then we'll look at what the scriptures have to say about baptism. First one is, what is baptism? What is baptism? Where do we even get it? Well, we get baptism in the opening passages of the New Testament, in the Gospels. As a matter of fact, in the beginning uh, of every Gospel account, you have a reference to John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. And it begins here, and we'll look at Matthew chapter 3. We're introduced to John, who comes before Jesus. And John says this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is where we are introduced to this idea of baptism. John the Baptist is preparing the way in fulfillment of what Isaiah had said 500 years, 600 years earlier, that there was going to be one who was going to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Mark chapter 1 tells the same account. Luke chapter 3 does the same thing. Um, and even John's gospel mentions John the Baptist. And so people went out to the Jordan River to get baptized for, repent for the repentance, for the forgiveness of their sins. As a matter of fact, Jesus affirms John's ministry on a couple uh, of accounts in a couple of places. And then Jesus even goes out to John and is baptized by John as well. Now, of course, the scriptures tell us that Jesus had no sin. There was no sin in him. He had committed no sin. So he comes out not as a confession of sin or repenting of sin, but to identify with his people in this special moment. John's gospel continues. In verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. This is referring to Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? See, John recognized Jesus seemed to be exempt from this, this baptism of repentance. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So this is how we're introduced to this topic of baptism. As a matter of fact, Jesus, at the end of Matthew's gospel, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, he spends 40 days with his disciples. And before he has ascended up into the heavens, he gives them this command, uh, this great commission. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, all, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So John had a baptism of repentance and of preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus sends his disciples out to go and make more disciples, to share the good news of Jesus, and said, one of the things that you make sure you do is you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You bring them into the community, those who turn to you. And you see this carried on in the book of Acts. Peter, after Jesus is ascended up into the heavens, the book of Acts records, records the expansion of this message of Jesus all throughout the Entire Roman Empire, the virtual known world at the time. And Peter, in a sermon in Acts chapter 2, as he preaches to the people of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit had come down on the people that day, and he preaches the sermon and he preaches a message about Jesus. And the people are cut to the heart, it says, at the very end of chapter 2. And they said to him, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles. This is chapter 2, verse 37 on. Brothers, what shall we do? He had just said, you had actually taken Jesus, the one who is the Son of God, and you've actually crucified him. But God has proved him. He's vindicated him by bringing up from the dead. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. At the end of this section in verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This was right outside of the temple in Jerusalem. They used all of the, the big pools outside of the temple that were the uh, used for ceremonial washings for the priests and the people to go into and they took those over and they said, we are going to baptize people in the name of Jesus for the repentance, for the forgiveness of their sins for those who repent. You see this happening all through the uh, uh, Luke's account in Acts. You have the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8. Um, you have the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. It says, when they believed... When they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. The Ethiopian eunuch 
Philip goes and encounters the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch's reading from the scroll of Isaiah that's talking about this um, suffering servant who was like a sheep led to the slaughter. And the Ethiopian eunuch, he goes, uh, "Who who is this referring to?" And in Acts chapter 8, verse 35, it says that Philip opened his mouth and beginning with that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And so he commanded the chair to stop. Philip came out, they go out and Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. We can keep going through these. Paul in Acts chapter 9 says when scales fell from his eyes and then he was baptized. A man named Cornelius, who was a Gentile, wasn't a convert to Judaism. He had a vision and he asked Peter. Uh, the vision said, go and call for Peter to come to your house and have him uh, share a message with you. And so they go and send for Peter. Peter comes all the way up to the city Caesarea Philippi. And Cornelius said, this is a fantastic story. Cornelius goes, I've just received a vision. Um, I was told to have you come and say, speak to us. I've gathered all my friends and family and everybody, my, my servants and everybody in my house. Um, I would like for you to share us this message. Wouldn't you like evangelism to be that easy? <laughs> right? Like, um, hey, could you come over to my entire neighborhood? And um, like, God just has a word for you to give us. We, we want to listen. And so Peter shows up. And he preaches to them about Jesus. And this is fascinating in Acts chapter 10, verse 40, right around 43. 42, um, Paul, or excuse me, Peter says uh, at the end of this little speech there, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, that is Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and dead. To him, that is Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among them, uh, from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were just amazed at what was happening. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? To him, and he says this, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So baptism is this act where people are immersed in water who have professed their faith in Jesus for the repentance of their sins and their assurance and their kind of initiation into God's into God's people. To those who believe the word and received it, that is what baptism is. So why do we do baptism? Why do we do baptism? Well, obviously, it's all talked about throughout Scripture. But I guess the basic reason would be Jesus commands it. In the passage I read in Matthew chapter 28, as he's saying, now go, go into the world and share the good news about who I am. Go and make disciples of Jesus, of me, he says. 
and baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. And you see the early church, as we've looked at all of these passages, following this command that those who repent to their sins and believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus are unite themselves to him in this act. Number three, what does baptism mean and signify? So we've looked at passages where they're doing the baptism, and we've already seen how it's connected to repentance in some way. But now what does it mean? What does it signify? There's a couple things. This brings us to our passage that we read this morning in Romans chapter 6. Baptism, first and signifies that we are united with Christ in his death. And that we are now dead to sin. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death at the beginning of verse four. So those who are baptized have acknowledged that Jesus death to be sure, but that Jesus death was done on their behalf and in their place that that he died for them and that they are saying, um, I am dying with Jesus. I believe this. And so I'm I'm identifying with the work that Jesus has done. So you are united with Christ by his death. But we are also united with Christ in his resurrection as well, too. We are now made alive to a new way of life. Verse four. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. In other words, those who proclaim their trust in Christ do so with the full confidence in the actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. So now we are freed to follow after God. We are made new, made alive to walk in newness of life. Verses 8 through 10. Uh, affirms this as well, too. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And so, says this in verse 11. Paul says, now how does this apply to you? So you, because you were baptized with, you were baptized in Christ, you were not only baptized into his death, you were baptized into his life as well too. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So we are united with Christ in his death, which means that we are dead to sin. And we are united with Christ in his resurrection, which means we're made alive to a new life with him. And there's two tenses to this being made alive and united with Christ in his resurrection. One is a present tense, 
mean we are made into new creations and new persons that we might walk or live in newness of life now. But there's also a future tense. And like it says in verse eight, we will also live with him. So this is what baptism signifies. This is one of the most uh, extensive passages in the New Testament that deals with what the meaning of baptism is. Our union, our picture of being united with Christ. Peter, first Peter, chapter two, there's a couple other things along this this line as well, too. First Peter, chapter three, um, verses 18. Another one I'll add here too. that baptism also signifies our escape from judgment as well, too. First, Peter uses a, a story. Peter uses a story of Noah in the Old Testament in Genesis. And Noah's rescue from water. And he says, this is a way, this is like a picture of baptism as well, too. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, so now he's talking about Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Verse 21, he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Now, some get caught up on that and go, wait a second, that sounds like you're saying that the water actually is the thing that saves you. Like that this is some kind of sacramental, uh, holy kind of water that the act of doing this uh, saves you. I don't believe that's what this passage is saying because of what Peter says immediately in the verses following. He says that baptism corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body. So this isn't like you're not being washed as maybe like a Catholic understanding would be that this is washing away original sin. No, he says it's not that, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the instrument that saves it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ and through faith in him. And so you have this theme, this repenting of your sins, uniting with Christ in his death, acknowledging you're uniting with him in his resurrection. And that there's an escape from judgment. And so when I do baptisms, I usually ask two questions to those uh, who are getting baptized. I'll ask. How long can you hold your breath? No, that's I was just kidding. The first question I ask is, do you repent and turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior? And the second one is, do you want to follow him and live for him all your life? And then I will say, based on your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in the likeness of his death and raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. 
So that's what baptism signifies. How is baptism to be administered? There are several uh, several different views and perspectives on this. Um, the word for baptism means to to dip. Baptizo, bapto is the word for to dip. Baptizo is like an intensive form of this. So like it's like to really dip. <laughs> so like like an intensive form of this this word. Baptismas is the word for baptism, uh, for dipping and washing. Baptisma is for the word that's used in the New Testament for baptism. Um, Baptistes is uh, the title that's given or name that's given to John to differentiate him from other Johns in the New Testament. And so one of the, the, the common pictures that you see is that this is a baptism by immersion or baptism by, by dipping. And you see this all throughout the scripture, John is, John's ministry of baptism is taking place in the Jordan River. Kind of the largest uh, body of water where you could actually be submerged is in the Jordan River, just east of Jerusalem. You have some other clues in there as well, too. It says that John, um, not only was John's baptism taking place in the Jordan River, when Jesus comes to him, it says, uh, after John baptized him, and Jesus was coming up out of the water. The same thing for the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch came up out of the water and then Philip was gone, disappeared. And this is the the imagery of immersion really does capture the idea that Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 6 of burial with Christ and being raised with Christ. But there are other options that people do. Sometimes they they sprinkle water or they pour water if their water was limited in certain ways. Um, the, the centuries after the early church, you see some evidence that those types of forms uh, were used. But the one that I've known the most and what I'm familiar with and the one I think pictures really well is this baptism by immersion. You are buried with Christ and you are raised with Christ. So who are candidates for baptism? Who are candidates for baptism? There's two, there's two primary uh, views on this. And one that's common among both views. There's one view that views um, that baptism is for believers. Well, actually, both views believe that baptism is for believers. But one view is, believes that baptism is for those who believe only. So only those who profess faith in Christ. And there's another uh, view throughout church history and through the Reformed tradition, Lutheran tradition, um, that baptism is to be done as a promise to, to children as well, too. One thing that is common among both of those views, and it's a view that I will emphasize and focus on here, is that baptism, the candidates for baptism are those who believe the good news of Jesus Christ, who repent of their sin and profess their faith in Jesus as him dying in their place for their forgiveness of sins, and that they're resurrected to a new life. So I, kind of a summary way to put it would be Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience, as Jesus has commanded it, symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, 
and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. And it is a testimony to his or her faith in the final resurrection of the dead. So here's the final question. Have you been baptized? First question would be, well, have you believed? If you have repented of your sin and declare your need for a Savior, if you've believed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus for you, then maybe you can ask kind of the same question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked. There's water. What prevents me from being baptized? The Ethiopian believed and trusted in Christ. Or we can ask the same kind of question that Peter asked about Cornelius and his house. When they had received his word and they had believed and that God's spirit had come to, to them. And Peter says, can anyone withhold water from these people? For baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Christ. What prevents you? If, you've, if you have been baptized, may this upcoming baptism be a celebration and a reminder of your baptism. As you see the people going into the water... And you have been baptized. May you uh, be reminded of this and affirmed about your baptism and the promises that God gives regarding your baptism. But if you haven't been baptized and you do believe in Christ, why not get baptized? Why not follow Christ? Follow his command. Baptism is not something that's for uh, super Christians or for a, a select few. Baptism is for all who profess faith in Christ. If you want to follow Jesus' command to be baptized, I encourage you to. Um, we have a sign-up sheet in the back. Um, please sign your name on it. If you have more questions and would like to know a little bit more about it, I would love to answer. Please feel free to come up and talk to me afterward. Or you can sign up on the back uh, and make sure we have your information and write more info next to your name. But if you haven't been baptized, I encourage you. I encourage you first to believe in Christ and his work for you. But it, and if you've done that, why don't you follow him in baptism? Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand for closing prayer. Father God, we thank you for your scripture and your word. And God, we thank you for how you have sent 
John the Baptist to do baptisms. God, that this is part of your your work and your plan, that you have given us a tangible picture and an image and a, a symbol and a promise and a seal for us. God, thank you that you've done this. God, as we are getting ready to celebrate baptism in the lives of several people in Redeemer in the coming weeks, God, we thank you that uh, that you've taught us and reminded us about the meaning and the significance of this. God, I pray for those uh, who have not yet been baptized and have put their faith and their trust in you, God, I God, I pray that they they do follow you in this regard and follow your commands as a disciple, as one who has committed themselves to your son. Father God, I pray for for those who have not been baptized and who have not yet believed in your son. God, I pray that, uh, that you even now be working in their heart. That you just convict them and just have them say the words, I I believe in Jesus. I believe what Jesus has done for me. And God, I pray for all of us who have been uh, baptized, whether it was recently and last year or whether it was years and years and years ago. God, may we... uh, May we take comfort and assurance of what that promises. That we don't have a a righteousness on our own, but we have a righteousness that comes from Christ. That we have forgiveness. And that we have the power to walk in newness of life today. God, may we, as we're witnessing these people's stories and um, seeing them, Uh, go in and come out of the water. May uh, those of us who have been baptized uh, be unified with them in this one baptism. God, again, we give you thanks for what you're doing in, in this church body. And we lift up the name of Jesus, our Savior, and our friend. And it's his it's in his mighty name that we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Now may the grace of God and the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.